Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons, today, November 21st, 2021. We continue our series titled, Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, What Does and Doesn't Save, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. If we've been justified, made right in the eyes of God, by faith and grace in Christ alone, not because of anything we've said or anything that we've done, then how are we supposed to brag about ourselves? Who brought me into a relationship with Christ? Christ did. He did. He gets credit for that. What about my accomplishments? We don't boast in accomplishments. We boast in Christ. What about my credentials? We don't boast in credentials. We boast in Christ. Are accomplishments bad? Are credentials bad? No. Who gets credit for all the good things that he calls me to do? Even, even he gets credit for that. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by his good work for the purpose of us going out and doing good works. You know, the one thing that sets Christianity apart from every belief system is Christianity's absolute trust in salvation by grace through faith. Let me say that one more time. Christianity's trust, absolute trust in salvation by grace through faith. Now, the reason why I say that is context-wise, Paul here in Romans is dealing with a religious community that simply cannot understand how people could be righteous apart from the law, apart from fulfilling the law. It makes no sense to them whatsoever. If we're going to be righteous, there's gotta be this whole list of things that I've got to do that's the only way I'm gonna be righteous. And so Paul will go about building a case for a truth that we've been looking at for a few weeks now called justification. Justification sounds a little bit like a churchy word. It means that God is declaring us righteous. And it only happens when you and I place our trust in Jesus Christ. It's a pretty important teaching. Now I will tell you that there are certain teachings that honestly you and I can disagree on. I mean, um, don't send me an email, okay? But in times, I, man, end times is important. I get it. It's really important. There's a blessing actually from, you know, Revelation says from reading it and studying it and all those things like that. But whether there's, whether you believe that there is a thousand year rain or no rain whatsoever, or you believe there's a rapture, or you believe that the rapture comes in the middle or at the end or before everything, those things are not salvific. They don't lead to salvation. Those truths should not divide us as a body. Good people on both sides of the, you know, the equations will differ on that. And that's okay. We don't have to be all together on that. But there are other teachings that we cannot differ on. I mean, they're not debatable. For example, who Jesus is. The Bible says that he is fully God. Fully man. You, you can't stop and go, well, I think Jesus is sort of God. Or he's a little bit of God. Or he's a lesser God. Maybe just not as high as the Father. Maybe he's just lesser than, you know? To believe that Jesus is anything less than the Father is, to, is something we would call heresy. Another one would be is how we're saved. You know, we don't teach that that you can believe whatever you want to about salvation, because very often a lot of people have that. They have this sort of thought in their mind that, well, 
I know what you teach. I know what the Bible teaches, but I think God and I just have this understanding. No, you don't. You might think that, but that's not the case. I mean, it's not like billions of people have all, you know, learned and obeyed God and followed his path, and you go, well, I'm the only one that's different. It doesn't work like that. You know, what we believe, we believe that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We are not saved by works. You cannot earn salvation. And honestly, if there were ever any doctrines that Satan, who is the, you know, the chief enemy of God and man, if there were ever any doctrines that Satan would use to split God's church or to, to mislead someone or to create uncertainty inside of them or division between brothers and sisters, it would be who Jesus is and how we get saved. Other than Christianity, all religions, all the isms out there teach a salvation by works of some type. That somehow people can attain a righteousness on their own by, by doing good things or by you know, living on a, a certain type of a diet or living a certain lifestyle or following through in all these religious rituals that are out there, or a, a code of sacrifice, of, of, of living a sacrificial life itself. Sometimes people will even try to lump you know, works and faith even together, which you can't do. You can't put a free gift together and call it and say you have to earn it. It doesn't work like that. They'll disguise it by saying it in a very interesting and sounds almost good religious-wise way. They'll say, well, you do a little and God will do a little. That's how I think it works. I'm gonna, you may not like this. That's false teaching. It's heresy. Let me show you how, how easy it is to get off on this, Okay. Let's just say for a second you, you died tonight. And you go and you stand before God and God looks at you and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And you stop and you answer, well, because I did my best to be a good Christian. Or maybe you say, well, because I believe in God and I try to do his will. Or maybe you just say, well, because I believe in God. What if I told you that not a single one of those is saving faith? Because if I say, well, I do my best to be a good Christian, that sounds like salvation by my efforts. I'm doing my best. I'm trying. It sounds like works. If you say, well, I believe in God and I try to do his will, that sounds like trying to put faith and works together, which we just said you cannot do. Listen, works reveal the work of God in our lives. They don't initiate the work of God in my life. If you say, well, I think I ought to be able to get into heaven because I believe in God, that doesn't necessarily include trust. James chapter two, verse 19 tells us the demons believe. They're not going to heaven. I believe in George Washington. I believe in Abraham Lincoln. I didn't put my trust in them. I just recognized that they were there. That they contributed to society in some way. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? Saving faith is a trust transfer. 
Saving faith is a trust transfer. I'm transferring my trust to what I can pull off myself or what I think I've done to trusting completely in Jesus. He's enough. Not any religious act, not any ritual. Maybe the better answer to the question of why should I let you into my heaven is because I believe God's promises. What promises? Well, in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10, it says this, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Where was the work in that? There isn't. It's just trust. Now, one of the things you're gonna notice if you've been here a while in Romans with us is that Abraham gets mentioned a lot. In fact, nearly the entire fourth chapter of Romans is dedicated primarily to Abraham, but also in verses six, seven, and eight, he's gonna deal with David a little bit, and Paul will use them as illustrations of people that can only be right with God by grace through faith, never by works. It's important for people to see the examples of those even back in the Old Testament, even back in the beginning of, of time to be God, you know, people that trusted in God and followed his promises and counted on him and that God would call that trust faith. Now, why Abraham? Why was he the primary example? Well, first of all, Abraham's a really big name. Now, he's not necessarily a big name in the USA because we don't really track everything back to him, but if you go to the Middle East, everybody tracks back to Abraham. Everyone. I mean, he would be the primary name. It's the reason why they fight in the Middle East because the Muslims go back and say, well, Abraham was the father of Ishmael and he was the, really the first son. The Jews would say, no, 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 Abraham is our father. Christians would go, well, Abraham is our father. I mean, they're all fighting about who is the privileged son. Now, the second reason Abraham becomes a big deal is because he was sort of considered the supreme example of godliness and faith by the religious Jews at that time. In fact, the rabbis used to teach that Abraham fulfilled the law perfectly even before it was given. Now, let me ask you a question. Anybody read the book of Genesis here? then you know that's not true, right? I mean, you know that Abraham, like every other human being that's walked on the planet, messed up. I mean, remember Hagar? Remember Ishmael? So that's not true. The third reason why, though he uses Paul here, I think is the most important reason, and that's because Paul wants to show that faith was and is the issue even 2,000 years before he wrote the book of Romans. See, people have always been saved by faith. Always. You know, people come along and say, yeah, oh, I get that in the New Testament. But how were people in the Old Testament saved? By faith. You see, people in the Old Testament were looking for the coming Messiah. So they were looking out in front of them like we're today, us, who live, you know, in 2021, we look back on the crucified Messiah, the risen Messiah. But it all came down to faith and trust in God's provision of a Messiah. So let's stop and let's read through the passage here. Um, just follow along with me. We're looking at Romans chapter four, verses one through 12. 
Paul writes and he says this, for what then shall we say was gained by Abraham or forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well, then how was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also, also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That's a lot of circumcision. <laughs> Let's get past that one, okay? Let me pray. We'll jump into this. Father, um, thank you. Thank you for pounding clearly on this idea that we need to be men and women of faith and we need to trust you. That we're not righteous, Lord, because of our works. We're not righteous because of ritual. We're righteous because your declaration of those who believe. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing you're gonna see here in verses one and two is that you cannot be righteous by works. If you'll notice here in verse one there, chapter four, Paul, or Paul actually starts off with a question. He says, what then shall be gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Gained here is talking about salvation-wise. He says, what is gained salvation-wise by the flesh, by our works? Answer in verse two, nothing. In fact, he starts off with this conjunction here, if. If something could be gained by works, Abraham would have something to boast about, but he doesn't because nothing can be gained by works. If Abraham could have earned salvation, he would have grounds to boast before God, meaning that God would somehow be indebted to him because he earned it. See, work salvation is always predicated on getting to a spot where God owes you. Work salvation is always getting to the spot where we've earned something, where God is somehow indebted to us. You say, well, I've never heard that kind of stuff. Churches out here teach this stuff. I mean, one of the most common ways you'll hear it is someone to say, well, why don't you just name it and claim it? Because what you're doing here is you, you gotta put God into a spot where he's gotta do what you ask him to do. That he has to give you what you want. And all you have to do is say it in Jesus' name. Um, listen, Jesus' name is the most wonderful, powerful name there is, but it's not magic. You know, 
God never told us to pray in his name so that we would manipulate him and find blessing for us. We pray in Jesus' name so that our prayers would align with his, so that we would walk in his steps, not that he would provide every single thing we want. God's never indebted to us. God never owes us. He never has to do our desire. That is not how God works. Keep your finger here in Romans and turn over to Ephesians chapter two for a minute. Let me show you something. Ephesians chapter two, we'll actually start with verse four and we'll go through verse nine. Ephesians two says this. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. In other words, God did not save us because you earned it. God saved us because verse four says that he's merciful and that he loves us and verse seven tells us that it reveals his greatness. I earned nothing. Jesus did everything. Everything. Can I, can I just tell you, uh, I think this is really important that you catch this. If that leaves you cold, you're, you may not even be a believer. That ought to stir our hearts. Jesus did everything for me. He forgave me. He adopted me into his family. He loves me. Now, the second thing you see here is that we can only be righteous by faith in verses three through five. Look at verse three here, though. Just start with that one. It says, for what does the scripture say? What scripture are you talking about? Well, actually, the quote here, he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That quote comes from Genesis chapter 15, verse six in the Abrahamic covenant. Now, notice here what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that Abraham believed in God. Verse three tells us Abraham believed God. He believed what God said. And that's what you and I need to do. There are lots of places in the Bible where we remind you to, have, to believe in God, but in, verses, in, in Genesis 15, six, that statement is personalized. To believe in God is to believe his words, to trust his promises. Do you see the difference there in the two? Abraham believed God. And the question is, are we there? Do you believe him? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Do you believe he will do what he says he will do? Do you believe that we are who he says we are? Look, if the Bible said, tells me that I'm a sinner, I don't respond to that and go, well, I believe in God. No, I believe him and I go, yeah, I am. I am. That's faith. And there's incredible blessing in believing him. 
For example, I mean, you know, many people struggle with, a, you know, with anxiety. I mean, maybe, you know, very mildly or maybe, you know, even a great sense of anxiety. When you stop and you look at the things that the scriptures say, what he, what he tells us, like in Hebrews 13, 5, when it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I believe that. You know what that does? It tells me I'm never alone. Even when I stand up here, I'm not alone. His spirit is residing inside of me. He's with me even right now. If I believe that, my confidence like Abraham is, you know, has to be in God. It's simply not, you know, know, believing or trusting that he exists. It's a personal trust. Look, faith isn't a leap into the unknown. Faith is a leap into Jesus' arms. It's trusting him. It's trusting what he says. And when you get to verse three here, you have to understand that, the, that, that when he says that, when he says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, this would have been one of the first times that that religious community was faced with understanding grace and seeing it demonstrated in Abraham's life. It goes back to the Abrahamic covenant there in verse three. It's an incredibly picturesque thing that happens. God told Abraham to go and get a a, a cow, a goat, a ram, and a couple of birds. And then he takes them and he has them killed and cut in half. Now, you gotta get, anybody here ever go deer hunting? Do you ever like have to clean the deer and you kind of missed with a knife a little bit and you know, it's really, really bad. You go and you throw up for a couple of minutes and then you come back and you know, you tie something around your nose so you can make it and then you, you know, you, you clean everything out like that, right? I mean, it's bad. So imagine this. Abraham goes and at this point, he's got to have, you know, this cow and he's got a ram and a goat and these birds and they cut them literally in half. So there's blood everywhere on this and they line up a walkway like you would an aisle with those animals, half of the animal on each side all the way through like this. Because this was how a covenant was made. The idea is to be two people would come along at that point and they would walk together through this, this, this animals that were dead here, they would walk together because they're making a covenant together. They're making a promise to one another of what they're going to do. That's how covenants were made, which by the way, I'm really glad we don't make covenants anymore. The point was, if you don't live up to your part of the bargain, what you just said, May what happened to these animals happen to you. So this is pretty deep, pretty solemn. I mean, this is not like a lightweight kind of thing, right? But then if you read Genesis chapter 15, you realize that is not what happened. They lay out the animals like that, and then God himself walked through You know, and he walked through the dead animals all by himself. He never even asked Abraham to go with him. What does that mean? That means God's promises are totally one-sided. What are you saying? What I'm saying is, is that God says, I will do everything. You just believe me. Trust me. Believe. 
which is the reason why you and I need to be in God's word. You need to be reading the word. You need to be in church. You need to be memorizing scripture. I mean, because we want our faith to grow. We want our trust in him to grow. I mean, Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We want our faith to grow. I'll go back to Romans 4 here. Verses four and five, Paul's gonna give an explanation of works and grace. He says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Verse five, he says, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In other words, the one who relies totally on God, that is righteousness. Now the third thing he's gonna tell us here is the blessings that come with faith in verses six, seven, and eight. Paul here will switch from Abraham to King David to reinforce that faith, not works, has always been the issue. Verses seven and eight, he will tell us that blessed are those whose sin is forgiven without labor of any work of any kind because they believe. They're blessed because they believe God. You know, honestly, if you really want to know what this passage is all about, you, you stop and you count up the words. Now, it's obvious here that you read a lot, of, a lot of times there, it mentions the word, you know, circumcision there, and that's because it's a ritual, and we'll get into that just in a moment, and he's really attacking that, that you could be saved by a work, or you could be saved by a ritual. You can't be saved by those things. You can only be saved by, by faith. But the word that you have to see here that's in there seven times is the word count. It's an accounting term. It's this very picturesque picture of a a financial ledger that comes up. And this financial ledger has two columns. One column is the column that says assets at the top. The other one is the column that says liabilities at the top. And what he says here is in Abraham's case, he believed God. And so God entered into the assets column righteousness. Then you come to David, and in David's case, he believed God, so God didn't enter into the liability column, sin. Instead, he entered into the liability column, paid in full. I love how he quotes David from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one who is, the one who is forgiven, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now the fourth thing he's gonna tell us here in verses nine through 12 is you cannot be righteous by ritual. You say, well, you've mentioned that a couple of different times. We'll get to that. Paul's gonna answer another question here, starting off in verse nine. He says, is this blessing, he's talking about the gift of faith, only for those who follow the law, in other words, who are circumcised? The answer is no. Verse 10, Abraham was considered righteous before he was circumcised. In fact, verse 11, it tells us that he got circumcised as a sign of the righteousness that he had by faith before he got circumcised. You see, circumcision was a lot like baptism. Baptism is a sign you get baptized to show that you believe. It's an outward testimony of an inward faith. Baptism does not save you. Faith saves you. But baptism pictures the saving work of God. You see, when you go down in baptism, what happens is you get in the water, you go down into the water. Down into the water is like going down into the grave. 
and then you get pulled back up, resurrected back up again to new life. It's a picture of what God has done. You're doing it as a testimony that the whole world would say that's what they believe. I'm gonna invite the worship team if they'll come back up and join me. Verse 12 tells us the fact that he believed God before he was circumcised make him the father of the uncircumcised also. Notice in, in, in the statement he makes though in verse 12. There's a statement that Paul makes here. He says, walk in the footsteps of faith. That is a very interesting and picturesque description of what we're supposed to be as believers. We are to walk in the footsteps of faith. We'll say, what does that look like? The only thing I can figure is this must be what it looks like when we fulfill what Galatians chapter five says and the fruit of the spirit starts coming out of us. That in our daily walk, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that's how we live. Historically, I will tell you that the issue of uh, circumcision is way more important than we understand in this country. Way more important. Christostom, who's one of the early church fathers, wrote that his Jewish friends were constantly saying to him, Abraham was a friend of God and the first to be circumcised. And so it was very clear here that they were looking at this sign, this ritual, which is what circumcision was, as a vital link or a part of salvation. And Paul wants to be really clear here and for them to realize that you are not justified, you are not declared righteous by works or by ritual. You're declared righteous by faith. Just like Abraham who believed God. Abraham, like you and I, are righteous only by faith. And so let me ask you the question, what are you basing your righteousness on? It cannot be our nationality. The fact that you're American is wonderful. I love the fact that I'm an American. I love my country. doesn't make me a Christian. It cannot be your lineage. You cannot look and go, you know what? I had an uncle that was a missionary. Or my grandpa was a pastor. So what? What about you? Can't be your works. Can't be your religious fervor or your practice or your rituals. If you and I are in fact righteous before God, we are righteous only by grace through faith in Jesus. It's because we believe Jesus, not just that he exists, but that we believe him. The question is, do you? I want to encourage you this coming Sunday. Next Sunday, we are going to take a break from the book of Romans, and we're going to have a baptism Sunday, and I believe it's going to be a wonderful thing. Personally, for me, it's one of my favorite things that we do altogether. There's nothing better than to see believers get up and declare their love for Jesus in front of everybody. And I would encourage you that unless you've experienced believer's baptism in your own life, maybe you've never been baptized or you're baptized as a baby or whatever the case may be, maybe you just had a complete change of heart and a turnaround, man, you need to take that step. 
But I want to be clear here. That step is not what saves you. That step is a sign that you are saved. And you're declaring to the whole world, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that he loved me. There's two things that I, I'm going to ask of you this morning. Either, if you truly out there saying, you know, I, I'm not really sure I've ever said I believed God. I'm not really sure I've ever come to the place where I just told God, even in my prayers, I believe you, God. I've sort of just always said, well, I believe in God. You'll know the difference. To believe him is very personal. To believe him is to place your trust in him. It's to say that. I mean, you don't have to say it out loud, but maybe this morning, that's the relationship you need to begin I want to encourage you at the end of the service that we people down here at the front, a prayer team, would love to be able to pray with you, encourage you, do whatever you need for them to do for you. They, they, they'll do that. The second thing is, if you would say, yes, I do, I do believe God, I am a believer, then you know what? Here's the call. Just as Paul ends up, verse 12 there, with these words, walk in the footsteps of faith. That's what we need to do. No longer saying, well, I don't know, maybe someday. No, no, it's right now. Today is the day that we would walk in the footsteps of faith. Pray with me. Father, we pray that our hearts are right before you, that we trust you, that we love your son. We're so thankful that we've placed our trust in him, that we might have new life in him and that we might walk in the footsteps of faith to honor you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, two things I'm gonna ask of you. Have you believed him? Do you believe him? Not just that he exists, but do you believe him? If you need to do that, again, there'll be people that'll be down here love to be able to pray with you just to make sure, but you don't, you don't need anybody. You can do that on your own right where you're at. But the second thing is, if you do, if you confess that you do believe him, I'm going to ask you this week, walk in the footsteps of faith. You say, well, I, well, I don't know what am I supposed to do with my life. Walk in the footsteps of faith. This is what you do. You live out your faith, and the whole world will get a chance to see it, and God will get honor, and you'll get blessed for it. God bless you. Love you all. Have a good day.